As I start my message this morning, I'd like to affirm your partnership in Christ. You guys are special to me, to, to Steve, and to the pastoral staff, for sure. There's so many of you who faithfully serve the Lord, nobody even necessarily hears about it. Well, behind the scenes, you know, there's the various prayer meetings, of course, and small groups, mostly which are uh, just done because people want to do that. We have a men's group that meets on Saturday. I just love it. It's not large, but we, we pray for each other and pray for the church. And, uh, of course, we have our small groups. Some of you are dedicated as leaders. Some of you are dedicated to attend as, as people who participate. And then we have the worship teams, of course, including the one that led us today. A lot of you support missions in various ways that we never, ever hear about. And, and even some of you go on mission trips. We had some go at Christmas time on their own coin to build houses in Mexico. And right now, um, Pete Morton is in Mexico uh, doing that. And so we have the missions, short-term missions that we support and engineer and the ones that are just done because you're serving the Lord. There are those of you who are really good at encouraging. You encourage other people. You encourage us as pastors. And uh, that's so important. Helping people in need. Last Sunday, you know, you showed an amazing response to the, what I shared personally uh, in regard to a lady in great need. Now, the miracle is that we're able now to help her fill out this month and next if we need it because of your generosity. We have another miracle that we need, and that's the miracle of finding a place for her to live. She is in a, quite a lot of physical pain, so she isn't able to be, have the initiative that she has in the past. And as I shared last Sunday, she's a, a businesswoman who had to stop her business three, four years ago and uh, somehow just run out of money. Anyway, there's those of you who are working with the youth, with the children downstairs, uh, helping on the team with Orn. You know, we just thank you. That's part of being the church. And then there's things like decorating and landscaping and uh, doing repairs on the building, making coffee every time we have service. That's important to lots of you. <laughs> but most of this is done without fanfare for the Lord. And I'm just so thankful. We together are the church, serving the Lord as an expression of his body here in White Rock, South Surrey, and to Surrey. Quite a few of you are relatively new in our church, and I'm sure you want to know more about our church. You know, what does it mean to be evangelical? What does it mean to be free? You know, the various things in our name. We just published a really excellent book that uh, we, well, let me just step back. Periodically, we run membership classes, and Pastor Steve and I would like to just change things up a little bit and do something not so formal. So, you know, the qualifications for a membership in an evangelical free church are very simple. Know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. It's a believer's church, and that's terribly important. That's at the foundation. And secondly, be supportive of our beliefs and practices so that we can work together and work together harmoniously. So I'd like to give you this brochure, uh, and there's some on the uh, uh, sound booth on both sides. You can grab one on your way out, and uh, it's got really a good survey of information of what our church is about. I invite you to read it, and then invite you to come with questions, specifically to a pizza with the pastors in two weeks. 
Six o'clock here at the church, and you can ask questions. You can talk about some of your dreams and uh, vision for the church. And, you know, that's what we really want to talk about. Um, We will have some membership forms available, but no obligation. Really what our goal is to strengthen us together in the Lord's work. Let's pray. Father, this is your church. I thank you for everyone who is in fellowship here. We are in different stages of our journey of life, for sure. As Steve prayed already, you know, some are in need of, of uh, healing from severe hurts in the past. Some are ready to do whatever you call them to do. Wherever we are, we pray that you will meet us with your grace and nurture us along as you promised to do. And may we be faithful in responding to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're just three weeks into the new year, 2015. Those of us who lived through 2000 and all the things that we were talking about might happen when the millennium changed. Hey, we're at 15 years later. Hard to believe. But a lot of the things going on in the world are becoming increasingly unsettling. How's this year going to turn out? I don't know. Will it be an overall good year or one disaster lead to another disaster? There are a lot of concerns that are kind of rising out of society. News 1130 reported on a survey this last week, which was a survey of what the key concerns for parents of teens are in 2015. And uh, cyberbullying headed the list this year. You know, it's a very destructive thing. This cyberbullying is just... All of us have grown up know what bullying is, but the bullying becomes so insidious and there are people who have lost their lives as a result and lost their respect and lost their respect for themselves. And drug use, of course. It's close behind and it just seems unstoppable. You know, we're watching a generation destroy a good part of itself. You know, people who are gifted destroying themselves. And then when we watch the news, it's violence and domestic violence and that killing spree in Edmonton. I mean, it was terrible. And then yesterday, some more shooting of the two policemen in uh, St. Albert. Like, it's just one thing after the other. It's only three weeks into the year. We can't get away from these things even in an affluent society where everything should be going good and our kids should be happy and everybody should be happy. And then, of course, there's the international aspects of it. Economically, nobody knows what's going to happen this year. You know, who would have predicted the price of oil would drop like it has, and then all the repercussions of that, and the economic warfare that goes on that most of us don't even hear about. And then there's the political part that I guess all of us probably are watching, whether we want to or not, and that's the rise of radical Islam. It's really a black cloud threatening world safety. I remember back in 2001, Franklin Graham got into a lot of trouble for stating publicly that Islam is not a religion of peace. And I, I remember the outcry, it was pretty bad. And I wondered if Samaritan's Purse would ever really get over it and still have the wide public support. I think God in his grace has kept things going and it isn't just church people who support it, but it is widely supported. But that statement has still come back to bite him. In 2010, which was nine years later, he was invited to be the speaker at the National Day of Prayer in Washington. 
pressure was put on when people heard who was going to be the speaker and, you know, with his narrow beliefs and all. And they uh, ended up withdrawing the invitation and he wasn't able to speak there. Fox News gave him an opportunity to kind of explain himself and he explained that, you know, I didn't say this till not after 9-11. And the implication being that now everybody could see what was going on. He traveled the world before that and so this wasn't something that caught him by surprise in a way that how, now they're suddenly violent. And then he went on to say this, it's pretty, pretty bold and that's I guess what really got him into trouble. He said, I don't believe, I, sa- I said that I believe that Islam is wicked and evil. I don't believe that Muhammad can lead anyone to God. I believe Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And then he pointed out some obvious things, how Islam treats women like property, how they promote killing of anyone who uh, leaves Islam. And then, of course, we've had more of the... Of the between the lines filled out to us as various incidents have happened and some already in 2015. But when we think about that, what's going to happen in 2015? And I anticipate that it's going to bring more dangerous confrontations rather than less. And what we've experienced so far is really just the beginning. Mel Weeb is the Canadian Director for International Christian Response. He shared this in Light Magazine recently. And and I'd like to just read from it. He said, we've heard a lot about ISIS and the horrible deeds that they are committing against Christians in Iraq and Syria. It's just awful. However, persecution has a long history, dating back to the time of Jesus. He said to his followers, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And then he goes on to say, since that statement by Jesus 2,000 years ago, 70 million followers of Jesus have been killed for their faith. And millions others, of course, have been beaten and put in prison. And unfortunately, that practice is continuing till today. He points out that in over 50 countries, of the world, the governments have decided to outlaw Christianity, making it illegal for Christians to practice their faith openly. Now we know that in a lot of those countries they are practicing their faith, but there's that legality thing that they can clamp on them when they decide to. This is what we call the underground or persecuted church. Um, voice of uh, 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 voice of the martyrs. BOM, said that in 2014, there were more people martyred for their faith than any other year since the time of Christ. So here's the question. If these ominous events are increasing, what's Jesus planning for 2015? I know what we hope he's planned. Anybody want to say it? He'll come again. That he will, uh, uh, that his second coming will be in 2015. When I walk, I often pray through the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Help me to help make your name hallowed today, to keep it holy and help my kids and I'll pray like that. And your kingdom come. And maybe it's my age. I probably didn't do this when I was young. I say, Lord, Come now, 
come now and clean this mess up. But what if that isn't on his agenda for 2015? What if persecution becomes more and more open, even in Canada? We don't know. If he doesn't come again to fix things, what are his plans? When leaders of ISIS behead their prisoners, does he notice? When Christians are raped and executed because they refuse to convert to Islam, where is he? Has he somehow lost control and abandoned them? What are Jesus' plans? Can we know about them or are they secret? Now, as I've said in the first service, pardon my negative start. As I wrote it and thought about it and changed it, I thought, I just hate to start this negative, but that's the real stuff of life that we have to deal with. And it's a backdrop to the other reality. See, we have two realities. The reality that I've been sharing that the culture experiences and the world experiences and the reality of what God is doing. And I'd like to encourage you this morning by turning your attention to what God is doing. The worship team did, and I hope that I can build on that and give it some kind of a biblical foundation and conclude with something inspiring for us. There's a sense in which his plan for this year is the same as it has been every other year since Jesus recruited his first disciples to begin building his kingdom. And here's the plan in a nutshell. Let the church be the church. Bill and Gloria Gaither captured it well in one of their early songs. Let's listen to verse 1. plan through the last 2,000 years has been to create and develop and grow a dynamic, life-changing, world-changing entity, the church, and to empower this church to carry out the work that he himself started to redeem sinful man and to restore his kingdom. He introduced his plan by making an amazing promise. So I'm going to start there. A little bit later, we're going to turn to Acts 1, and you can turn in your Bibles or uh, iPads or whatever it is that you have. But I'm going to do a couple of passages ahead of that, and I think they're maybe even going up on the screen. Here's his amazing promise. It is amazing. Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The Lou Living puts it, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I think we could loosely translate it like this, given the theme that I'm seeking to uh, portray. 
Let the church be the church because it's my design and all the powers of hell will not be able to conquer it. Does that mean it'll be easy? He's building the church, we just kind of ride along? Does it mean that his followers can expect to have it comfortable here? Well, Matthew 24, 1 and 2 kind of gives us a hint. Jesus gave a hint to his disciples because he was kind of building into them a preparation for when they would become the the church scattered. So, verse 1 says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call attention to its buildings. And many of you probably know that Herod was building that temple and temple grounds for many years, and there were continuing changes. It was an awesome sight, an awesome sight. And Jesus, and, and they went to talk about it. Maybe there was some new construction that had gone on. And he said, do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And that wouldn't happen tomorrow. It would happen within many of their lifetimes, however. A short while later, some pretty bad things did happen. Jesus was arrested, tried, convicted, crucified, and killed. And they were shocked. Three days later, he was resurrected. And they hardly knew whether to believe it. He stayed on 40 more days, preparing his followers for a mission. What was the mission? To be his representatives on earth. To be change agents in society. To be his body. To be his church. Now we turn to Acts chapter 1. That gives kind of a transition from what I've shared to the church being active, going down the ages right till we are now. Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Now he was referring to the book that we call Luke. We call it Luke because it was written by Luke. Luke was a doctor and he wrote the book of Luke and then he wrote it to Theophilus and then he wrote this book as a follow-up to continue the story. And that's the key thing here. He picks up the story in Acts and continues his story of Jesus' life and ministry through people. Um, verse 3 after his suffering he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing truths that he was alive so that was important first of all that it really was Jesus that he really was resurrected and whatever faith that was developing would be based on the fact that he was God and he had defeated death he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God that was his message the kingdom of God their part in the kingdom the advance of the kingdom. The next step of the kingdom would be carried on by a unique body, the church. Acts uh, chapter one, verse six. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you gonna be the king? Are you gonna bring justice to our nation and fix things? Are you going to run things and give us freedom? Are we going to be able to have freedom to worship and live as we have hoped for and dreamed of and somewhat in the past? Verse 7. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, that's not what's important to you. We're not in the final conflict yet, but I do promise you this. I will build my church. 
Whatever happens, I will build my church. And until the church is complete, we're not done yet. There's lots to do. So he made this amazing promise. So based on that promise, what I'm talking about and what we experience as a church and are intended to experience. Here in Acts chapter 1, he summarizes an overall plan for how it would be possible for him to build a church through people. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the plan. That was the plan when Jesus left the earth. That's still the plan in 2015. Hasn't changed. I will give you power and you will be my witnesses. Where you live, where you go to school, where you work, where you travel, to the ends of the world. Let the church be the church because it's my design and comes with my power and it will be successful. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. So that was his last communication with them and a cloud hid him from their sight. Those 40 days must have gone by really fast. I bet you when they look back, what are we supposed to do? You know, um, I was sharing in early service that we decorated for Christmas the last day of November this year, put up our tree, and uh, got sick just around New Year's, so didn't take things down until the 7th. That's just about 40 days, about 39 days. Look back, man, that went fast. And it wasn't even that important as far as that part goes, but we did a lot of important things because we celebrated Christmas together, of course. So that brings us back to their big question. Verse 6, Lord, he hasn't gone yet. Lord, are you going to set up your kingdom and run it? Are you going to restore it and, and keep us safe? If we live for you, will you assure us of a good life, a peaceful life? Now, Jesus had warned them already that things weren't going to remain the same. Their beloved Jerusalem and that magnificent temple complex would, would be torn down and burned. They'd be scattered. They wouldn't be able to live there anymore. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of them were killed and died during that time. It was a terrible time, not just of Christians. This was of the people who lived in Jerusalem. But the Christians, that would scatter them. Jesus had warned this would happen, and it did happen 40 years later is what I want to say. For the next 300 years, Christians uh, alternated between favor and suffering, you know, acceptance and death. They'd have some friends who would like them and lots of people who didn't like them. And during all that time, people came to faith in Jesus. And the church grew. And as I already have said, our great question is pretty much the same now in 2015. And what I wrestled with when I was preparing for this message. Lord, what's going to happen in 2015? Are you going to come back this year and finish the kingdom? Are you going to restore our world Are you going to keep us safe? Take us to heaven? And I believe he's still saying, 
Not necessarily. I'm not telling you these things yet. But I have sent the Holy Spirit to you as well. And like my early disciples, you're going to be my body on earth. You're going to live the gospel and share the gospel and be the love of Jesus in your neighborhood where you work. You're going to be my church. You're going to be change agents in a hurting, deteriorating generation. And they started out by being his witnesses, sharing the gospel, living for Jesus. And the Holy Spirit gifted some to preach, and they preached. The Holy Spirit gifted some to teach, and they taught. The Holy Spirit gifted some to help, and they served behind the scenes. The Holy Spirit gifted some to give, and they became a very important function of giving to projects that other people couldn't give to. The Holy Spirit gave the gift to some to heal, and they developed healing ministries, or God used them in bringing of healing to people. And as we go further, we see one more aspect. So we see the promise, I'm going to build my church. We see the uh, overall plan. We also see the core values, because that's important too. All three of these are important as we think about what we're going to do and ought to be doing or should be in 2015. Acts 2, 42 summarizes their core values. They devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. All four of these are important ingredients. A church may do more things, things that are seemingly not necessarily related, but they can't do less and still be the church. Teaching has to take place. Teaching and preaching and proclaiming the word, whether that's in church here, in life groups, in youth group, or whatever it is. Fellowship. Working together. Helping each other. Supporting and encouraging each other. Being the body to help each other along. Breaking of bread. Certainly that included sharing meals, but it also was sharing communion on their regular basis. And every time they did it, just like us, we're reminded that Christ died for them. Christ died for us. We're reminded that Christ is coming again. There will be an end, a terminus. And like Tennyson said, we know the end of the story. But right now we're in the middle of the story and we don't know how the story will develop for us in 2015. And the fourth one is prayer. And that must always be there in the church. Unfortunately, it isn't always there. Prayer is our communication with the king. It's our communication with the Lord of the church, with the boss. How do we know what to do, what he wants us to do unless we communicate? And prayer is terribly important. So back to the stories of Jesus' followers in Acts, things begin to happen. So we've watched how this developed. Things both good and bad. People came to the Lord. And surely that's good, that's really good. Opposition increased. Yeah, that wasn't so good, at least not so obviously good. You know, they took a guy like Stephen, took him out back, and they threw stones at him until he died. They killed him. Unfortunately, his death opened a firestorm of persecution and suffering, and it was like the power of Satan 
and the gates of hell increased their pressure. They had some success, and now they were going to put on the pressure. And suddenly being part of the church was a hundred times harder for the newly formed church of people. It was a hundred times harder to live as Christians. And the book of Acts goes through the very experiences, and I'm just going to try to highlight as I close. Um, but the church became the church. In Acts 4.32 is the first highlight I'd like to share. The followers of Jesus became very generous. It was a time of persecution. Some people had nothing. They lost their homes. They lost whatever. Some still had property. And, and they shared things and took care of each other. In some cases, sold property and used the money to help take care of the church. And that was good. Unfortunately, not everything was good in that kind of a... It was, you know, when people are involved, it's seldom all kind of rosy and wonderful. And so as we move into Acts 5, which is the next chapter, we learn that some people pretended to be part of the program. They pretended to share generously what they had. It seems like they wanted the credit and attention to be important. They lied about it. Ananias and Sapphira lied about selling their property and giving it all to uh, help it with the various needs that were there. And, and they died as a result. Can you imagine living at that time and going through all that uncertainty and turmoil? But still the church grew. Then it goes into Acts 6. This describes the second challenge that I want to share. Pray that I won't cough because this thing is on. The other mic this morning I could take away and do my little clear in my throat. <coughs> Verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were not being, they were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. You know, we should never be surprised when feelings get hurt, when people feel neglected or complain about the leadership. For goodness sake, these first leaders were the ones that Jesus himself recruited So that happened in the early church uh, that Jesus was designing and building. But what it did do was give an opportunity for the church to act, to come together, to get on their knees and seek God. What should we do about this? And they showed that the church was not just a collection of individuals, a bunch of individuals who happened to pray a prayer for salvation and now met together you know, for worship once a week because they like to do that. But they were a body, and they needed to hear from the Lord. And they prayed, and God gave them an answer. Again, as Acts goes on, church is persecuted and scattered, and still the church grew. The rest of Acts details both wonderful experiences and, and challenging setbacks. Some people were accepted and appreciated because of their love, especially during times of plague, the love of the Christians excelled because they took care of sick people. They were not afraid to do that. But some people were hated where they lived and they were falsely accused. Some did jail time. Others were even killed and still the church grew. People came to faith in Jesus in spite of the resistance of friends, in spite of the mockery of family, in spite of the crackdowns from the establishment, and the church grew. It wasn't long before the Roman Empire 
joined in the persecution. And for the next over 200 years, they also were persecuted by the state. Um, that's a long time. You know, sometimes, somehow Christians often, and they certainly did then, and they have many times since, become the whipping boys for whatever's wrong in society. But we know something. We know that this is the power of hell that is being unleashed by Satan. This isn't people who are clever enough to have figured it all out. As Ephesians says, we don't wrestle the fight against flesh and blood against people, even though the people seem to be the ones we're fighting against. We fight, we fight against principalities and powers and rulers in the darkness. And that's what's behind it all. And still the church grew. And that's been a story told over and over through history. No matter how dire the situation, Christ builds his church, the powers of hell try to destroy it. Now, when the church gets off track spiritually or theologically, the powers of hell sometimes are looking successful. They do destroy individual churches. There are churches that die, denominations that die over the years. But the powers of Satan and hell have never been able to, nor will they ever be able to, destroy the church that is functioning as a church. Let the church be the church. Pastor Steve has, and his family have Mennonite background. Their history is a history of persecution and growth. The roots of our Evangelical Free Church are in Scandinavia, and uh, our forefathers came to the Lord in revivals that were sent by God in the 1800s. People discovered the gospel as they read and studied the Bible. They had home groups. They called them reading groups, if I remember rightly. And th these people had not heard the gospel in the state churches. They had heard religion. And as they read the Bible, they, they heard the gospel that Jesus died so that they could be forgiven by faith, not through having to do a lot of stuff. They, they were persecuted for believing that salvation is a free gift and we have to take it. And those who don't, don't receive it. And when they came to America, to Canada and the United States, they brought with, their faith, with them their faith in Jesus. And that's really where our roots come from. They come out of persecution too. Each branch of the church, this is a wonderful part, each branch of the church has its own story about the grace and enabling of God. And what is important is that it's a continuing story, continuing right to today, and we're part of it. What's 2015 going to bring? I don't know. Maybe Jesus will return. I hope so. And, and uh, completely set up his kingdom. Finish it off. Maybe he'll leave us here through all of 2015 to forward his kingdom, to be his church, to make a difference, to be a redeeming factor in society to bring people to Jesus Christ. The bottom line is we have the promise. Don't forget the promise. The promise is I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And they haven't for 2,000 years and as Tennyson very um, eloquently said when he was leading worship, it's stronger than ever. Secondly, he gave us his overall plan you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has 
comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses wherever you are around the world. And the early church demonstrated the basic core values that make this possible. They lived by teaching, fellowship, um, breaking of bread, and, and prayer. And like I said, you can do more things. A church can have various kinds of activities that bring us together that are good and fine. But we better have at least this. Let me just conclude with two or three stories and then we'll have the the last part of the song that we had earlier. This is from that same article that I read from and he says, here's some examples of modern day persecution. In Cuba today, the church has been told that by authorities that they must close over 2,000 places of worship because they're illegal. And I'm not sure how they're doing and actually getting them to close, but that's what they're supposed to do. He also says that house building permits have been delayed 12 years because they know that when that house is built, it's going to be used as a place of worship, so they keep delaying the permits. Now, we, as an evangelical free church, have a very uh, significant work supporting the churches in Cuba. So we, we have a heart for Cuba. But what he says is that Cuba has grown, the Christians in Cuba have grown to about 10% of the population. That means that there are over a million born-again Christians in Cuba during this time when the government has been trying to shut them down. In Vietnam, the pastor of a village was usually singled out over the years since communism took over, beaten and his house destroyed so he couldn't operate there. One pastor was tied with a rope and pulled behind a motorcycle till he nearly died. You know, all kinds of ways they've had to make them suffer. Church buildings are regularly torn down or burned down in attempts to eliminate the church. But the church in Vietnam keeps on growing. In spite of this, the church has increased by 900% since communists took over. In Pakistan, a Muslim family decided to punish a woman who converted to Christ. And 31 family members, 31 of her family members, beat her, kicked her, shot her, and did so until they thought she was dead. Miraculously, she survived and God kept her alive. She went on to win many of her people to the Lord to establish schools, safe houses, and is still committed to serving the Lord. And in fact, he goes on to say that in spite of the persecution in Muslim Arab countries, more Muslims have come to Christ in the last 10 years than in the last 1,400 years since uh, Islam began. And this is mainly because of the new technologies that have, I got a cough, (coughs) excuse me, can't hold it any longer. Because of the new technologies um, whereby people are being exposed to the gospel who never were before. They never had access to anything like that. It says that uh, El Hayat TV is now 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he says they get approximately a million inquiries per month from Muslims wanting to know, who is Jesus? Where can I get a Bible? Is the Quran true? I'd like to meet a Christian and other questions like that. And so the church continues to grow. Let's rejoice in the way this expressed in the song as we listen to the last part of the church triumphant.
God has always had a people. Many a foolish conqueror has made the mistake of thinking that because he has driven the church of Jesus Christ out of sight, that he has stilled its voice and snuffed out its life. But God has always had a people. The powerful current of a rushing river is not diminished because it is forced to flow underground. The purest water is the stream that bursts crystal clear into the sunrise after it's fought its way through solid rock. God has always had a people men who could not be bought and women who were beyond purchase God has always had a people there have been times of affluence and prosperity when the church's message has been nearly deluded into oblivion by those who sought to make it socially attractive neatly organized and financially profitable it has been gold plated draped in purple and encrusted with jewels it has been misrepresented ridiculed, lauded, and scorned. Yet, through it all, these followers of Jesus Christ have been, according to the whim of time, elevated as sacred leaders and martyred as heretics. Through it all, there marches the army of the meek, God's chosen people who will not be bought, murdered, martyred, or stilled. On through the ages they march, God's church triumphant, alive and well. Let the church be the church. People of the Part of the large church. The remnant. Come on. 